0: hi and welcome to be positive shoot negative podcast this week we have someone from across the pond ribs he's an amazing talented artist and you guys know the deal so without further ado let's hop right in so hi welcome to be positive shoot negative podcast uh how you doing today it's weird time changes dark outside and light here so
1: (laughs) no i'm good man i'm chilling uh we haven't had daylight savings here yet so um, I actually just realized that this morning that our time difference was not as wide as it usually is. I guess it's an hour difference or an hour difference between the times. Um, yeah. But yeah, all good here. Actually, the sun just went down here not too long ago. So I was actually out uh, earlier doing some photography. I was out by the uh, by Westminster Bridge where Big Ben is. Mm-hmm. And uh, the sunset was amazing. You know, I couldn't really ask for anything more than that.
0: Yeah, I saw that on your uh, Instagram. It, it looked beautiful. I was like, I need to
1: go out and shoot a little bit more.
0: But I <laughs> don't <laughs> I currently don't have any cameras on me, so that's also an issue. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, so I had to send uh, both my cameras in to get CLA'd. So the mm-hmm. Pentax, um, I wanted to get CLA'd. Yeah. And then my Rolly 35, and I was like, I want to get that CLA'd.
1: Wow. <laughs> so both are,
0: like, all I have is the Intrepid 4x5, and I'm like, yeah. every time I press the shutter, that's like 25 bucks. So <laughs> it's not like I I'll can go you. out
1: all the time. You know what? I actually I was when I was taking some photos earlier um, at the bridge, I was thinking, man, this would be the perfect scenario for a four by five. I had two cameras on me, a medium format and a 35. And um, I just didn't want either one of them at the at that moment. I don't know why.
0: Yeah, I totally feel like uh, like to compensate me for like the twenty five dollar situation. It's uh, I shoot direct positive paper.
1: Yeah, nice. I actually I've been wanting to do that. I haven't done it on my four by five yet, but I've been wanting to.
0: Definitely do it. The issue is is like um it's a lot of trial and error because yeah. what I found out is I had two different boxes and both are shot at different ISOs. So it's like gotcha. you gotta you gotta test out for a little bit. <laughs> Speaking of four by five and medium format thirty five, everyone has a story of how they got into photography. Uh what is yours? How'd you get into this artistic output? Of photography yeah
1: no uh that's a good question i um well film photography itself wasn't even like the beginning I, I definitely i was a digital shooter to begin with but i'd say maybe now almost close to 10 years ago um so i cook a ton i don't know if you've seen on instagram i, I just love cooking um i consider myself to be talented in that regard so that actually was the way that i got into photography because i was i was um exploring kind of the culinary thing and really starting to get creative and mess around and, you know, 10 years ago, blogs were like a thing, you know, that was probably like when blogs really like got fire, caught on fire. So I was like, I want to start a blog. And I was like, well, I need photos. And phone cameras weren't really great at the time, or at least, you know, not by my standards. So I was like, you know, I'll just buy a camera. And I bought a Canon T3i. And that was my first like legit like camera, I guess. I had a point and shoot before that, but electronic point and shoots like digital ones, they, they weren't like anything special. But yeah, that was my first like legit camera. And then um, food photography was like where I really started to invest my time into learning photography, that specific discipline. And yeah, it kind of took off from there. And then, um, you know, things evolved over time. And I guess that was 10 years ago. So um, somewhere along the way, I then started to like do some landscape, cityscape stuff, and then eventually segued into portraits And then portraits really stuck for a minute. That was like the hot thing that I was doing up until I kind of stopped doing digital photography. And then film kind of just took over. And here we are.
0: So you started out um, with digital, as you said. Um, Why did you transition into shooting film?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Well, initially, I started messing around with film just because it was a thing. And like, so I, I shot Canon, as I mentioned. So I had a whole Canon kit, a lot of lenses. And then I actually don't know the exact moment where I realized that like old school Canon film cameras, um, at least like kind of the, the most recent versions of them had the EF mount. So I was like, shit, that's cool. Like, let me just pick up a Canon, uh, a Canon EF camera. And then I went online and saw how cheap they were. And that really got me excited. Cause I thought I was like, you know, getting a steal. I was like, man, is, not only can I shoot with these lenses, but like this camera costs 20 bucks. So I bought a Canon EO 650. That was my first film camera ever that I bought. And um, and that was just dabbling. Again, I did it because I thought it was interesting. Like people were like, yeah, it's possible. And, you know, I took it with me on vacations and random things like that. But then when I moved to London, at that point, I started dabbling a bit more. And then I found a community here in London. And when I moved to London, I didn't really know. Well, I, had, I I work, I had work, I moved to London with my company. So I knew a ton of people through that. But outside of my coworkers, you know, I didn't really have any real friends. So, via the film photography kind of setup, I started to meet other people. And actually, the community itself is what got me interested. It was less about the photography aspect. It was more about, oh, look at all these other people who like are interested in photography. You know, they'd like to talk about. They like to teach me things because I think that's the key. Everyone's always like excited to like share some information. And the the community itself was kind of what made me interested in film photography. And then once I was in there. And then I started messing around on my own. Then things really kind of snowballed very, very fast. And then ultimately the full switch happened kind of like on its own. It was kind of a, a natural progression. But I think what, I, what happened was I fell in love with the process. Um, there were things I was doing with film photography that just don't exist with digital. Um, from a physical perspective, um, like actually make like you know using your cameras is different or can be different. You know, not all of them, but they can be very different obviously developing scanning and i mean now the dark room uh dark room printing so all of that stuff just the process is what really hooked me and if i couldn't do any of the parts of that process i would definitely feel like i was missing something
0: yeah you just mentioned uh the dark room i am fascinated with the whole process of being in mm-hmm. the dark room and all that i don't currently have a space for it so i'm like waiting yeah like when I move into a new place, that's going to be like one thing I look for to be able to have an area to do that. Yeah. What drew you initially to just going in to your bathroom and just setting up a darkroom area instead of just <laughs> walking down the street instead of and going to a lab to get your artwork printed?
1: Well, I actually, well, in general, let's say like darkroom um, as opposed to digital printing. I'd done a lot of digital printing, especially when I was shooting digital, and that was cool. It was easy. Like, you could get really good results. Um, I'd seen stuff on YouTube about the darkroom, and I was like, that's pretty interesting. And, you know, obviously, I've seen darkrooms in history. Like, in my life, I've seen things. So I went to my local darkroom, which is actually across the street from where I live here in London, which is super convenient. So I went there, and I kind of just like, you know, I was like, hey, I want to use the darkroom. They're like, do you know what you're doing? I was like, yeah, of course. So then I didn't know anything. And uh, I just jumped in and I knew some basics and I've watched a lot of YouTube, actually shoot film like a boss, Roger. He is definitely the person who really inspired me to like take actions into my own hands or take matters into my own hands. But anyways, I did that at that local place. You know, you have to pay. It's also like something you have to go to and you have to share with people and all that. Um, And then the pandemic hit, that shut down. I was like, wait a minute, like if I want to print, because I started printing in the darkroom right in like February, let's say. Uh by March, I was like, well, if I want to do this, I got to invest in, in the tools myself. And I started thinking about it. I was like, could I do this in my bathroom? And I was like, I don't have any windows in the bathroom, so why not? And yeah, I just kind of like started piecing things together. And again, that once I started dabbling with that, like you got just a taste and then it just kind of like I couldn't go back from there. Yeah, I, I cannot fathom just having that whole setup
0: and everything and the hurdles you had to go through what were some of the hardest things that you had to overcome with your kind of setup in the dark room? And what are some tips that you can give to people who would like to maybe just do what you do and have it up in their own bathroom and everything?
1: Yeah. yeah. I think this is really important. Um, it's interesting in film photography, like I said earlier, a lot of people like to give knowledge and talk about things and like it's very accessible, especially if you find the right people. Cause there's a lot of snobs out there. I'm not going to lie. Who like they tell you information because they feel good. It makes them feel good to be like, I know stuff. But most people aren't like that. The point is, when it came to darkroom printing, um, I encountered two things. One was, yeah, black and white, everybody can do it. It's cool. Color printing, no. Like color printing is really hard, and like you should never even bother doing it if you can't like keep your chemicals in the perfect temperature and all of that. And honestly, that kind of ticked me off because I, I just when when people say you can't do something um especially something like like film photography any element of it which is very physical and like you know it involves you physically doing something and it feels very accessible generally i was like you know what like they're saying i can't do like that. that's bullshit like i'm going to try to figure this out and you know first when i started looking i was like oh i need to get a big jobo processor which if you look at that first of all it costs at least a grand it takes up a ton of space and it's literally like having a fish tank i would say like in your home that you move and like put somewhere it's massive. Like, it's just crazy. And I was like, shit, do I really have to buy that? And then I started thinking about what that machine does and like the different steps. And I was like, all right, one of them is to keep temperature control of chemicals. I was like, all right, maybe I could do that myself. The other one is to agitate your print inside. Once you pour the chemicals And I was like, well, you know, why does it have to be a machine doing it? Like what's so special about it? And eventually I realized that you can do a lot of these things yourself and like pieces. So I started looking at those individual pieces. And then from there it was more about like connecting the dots And honestly, like, i watched a bunch of stuff on YouTube, I I went through forums, Um, I I did all of that annoying work of like reading comments from like 15 years ago, you know, people now who are probably much older and like, are like not even in the game anymore. But you know, doing that kind of research and that dirty work, I learned a lot of things that at least kept me in the game, I didn't get all my answers right there. But I knew that like, based off of these kind of details here and there, I was like, all right, I'm on the right track. So eventually I just decided to start spending money on eBay and everything you need for film photography exists on eBay. I urge everyone to buy as much as you can used, Uh, not only because, you know, it's there, but also it's kind of what I love about film photography is you can get so much stuff used, like instead of, you know, new plastic being used to make trays and all this stuff, like there's no point in buying new, Uh, unless it's a new product that like actually, you know, is new and has some value to it. Fine. But you know everything's on eBay, so that's what I did, and I got a couple of key pieces, and all those things gave me the freedom to kind of move around and adapt them to the space that I had, um, and then and then from there I just start messing around. I, I like tinkering. I, I I just feel like I'm always have to do something different and change the variable. So the dark room is is the perfect place to do something like that. And I'm not a perfectionist. I'm not one of those detail oriented people. I'm not going to pixel peep this and that. It's just not my style. So I think the dark room becomes a lot of fun because of that. Um, so in terms of advice, what I would say to people is, um, you know, definitely do a bit of homework and, and really assess all of the possibilities to figure out which one of those works for you. Um, I've got some stuff online that could be helpful that people can look at. Um, so do your research. And then the second thing is like, just be okay with messing things up. I know, you know, this stuff's not free and I know that like, you know, it takes time and effort, but um at the beginning, like that's just what it is. Like it's it's a new process, it's a new skill set. Printing is a skill, as just as like the photography itself is a skill. So don't be afraid to fail. You just gotta jump in there and mess around and you know, just talk to people. Um, you know, if, if you ask five people, at least one of them's gonna be like, Yeah, you know, here's some answers to these questions. So, so yeah, do your homework and also just like, you know, get your hands dirty.
0: Yeah, that thanks to you actually, I that's how I do my paper, uh, direct positive paper. I do it in a mm-hmm. Patterson tank and like mm-hmm. everyone's like you need to have like this dark room set up and all these trays and everything and i was like i got two trays for the uh <laughs> final wash and like the yeah. uh uh hypo wash or hydro wash whatever it's called mm-hmm. and i literally do all the developing in a little patterson tank and mm-hmm. i'm all good yeah. you you've had a l- lot of cameras and same with me you go through you see something and you're like oh i want that <laughs> if, if you had to only keep one camera, what camera would you want to keep and why? Only one.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a easy. That's an easy one for me. Um, it would definitely be my Canon EOS 300 V. Um, it's the least swaggiest camera out there. Like, it's not gonna get love from all the hipsters. Um, you know, it, it there's it has electronics. It has a com- like a little computer chip doing things like, you know, and it's anti the culture. Let's say. Um, but that camera, um, I feel extremely confident that I'm going to get the photo that I want to get with that camera. Um, the other thing is, we talked about EF mount earlier. Um, that's that's one of the best EF mount cameras that I can think of. It's got all the bells and whistles for like 1997, um, which means autofocus, which means like auto winding. Um, you've got exposure comp, you've got um, bracketing, which you know I feel like people don't do with film photography, which is kind of weird, but um, but either way, that camera's got everything that I need. And I've taken that camera around the world with me to a couple of different places. Um, and it has not failed me. It, it really, like, it gets the job done. I beat it up. I don't treat any of my cameras with respect, honestly, because, well, that that's, that's an exaggeration. But, you know, I don't baby my cameras. Like, I, I again, I'm, I'm just not one of those people perfectionists. Like, I, I you know, it, for me, it's about the process. And like, you know, if it gets dirty, it gets banged up. Like, that's just what it is. But that camera cost me 25 bucks. So also if I mess it up because I'm really trying to get that shot, I'll just buy another one. If that means I can get in the water with it and like, you know, hold it above the, the water, like with one hand or like, um, you know, I, I went to a, a sand dune and I was like, well, if this camera gets sand all over it, like, so be it, like, it's all good. I'm still gonna get the shot that I want and hope that, you know, the camera, the film survives and not the camera. Um, yeah, that's the one. And the last thing is that camera, it's one of those cameras that winds all the film out of the canister first. And as you take shots, it, it pulls them back into the canister, um, which means that whatever happens, the photos that you have created are going to be safe. Um, worst comes to worst, you know, you cut off that end of the roll if, if you, something happens and all the ones in there are all good. So, so yeah, that camera does not has not let me down. And as long as I have some batteries, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be all good.
0: <laughs> as long as we don't go out without batteries, you'll be fine exactly let's put the audience into some context how many cameras do you own like to put in context of going
1: um last time i actually counted i think it was 15 cameras since then i acquired the pentax 67 and i think that's it so let's say 16 and i haven't gotten rid of any of them i meant to get rid of a couple since i made a video about it but but yeah, I think it's 16 right in New York. Sorry, in London with me right now. I think it's 16. I've got I found some stuff when I went home in the summer last year, um, a point and shoot and I think something else. Oh, yeah, no, I think it was the point and shoot. But anyways, yeah, let's say 16. So it's not it's not that much people. I thought it was a lot. And I made a video about it. And people were like, yo, that's child's play. Yeah, like,
0: um, I don't, you know, uh, Caleb, uh, he runs bad flashes. I Mm -hmm. was talking to him about it, and he's like, I have like, I think over 30. And I'm like, I was like, I have three, I have three, (laughs) like, I have 135, one medium format, and one large format. And
1: that's what what I'm good with. I admire you for that. Honestly, you don't need a ton of cameras. If people want to collect cameras, like, simply for the sake of collecting, like, do what you got to do. That's cool. But, um, If you're just got a lost soul and you feel like the next camera is going to make the difference for you, that's probably not a good way to go about it because, I don't know, I feel like the more options you have, if you haven't figured out what it is that you want to do and what you like and that kind of stuff, the more cameras you have, I think just it's going to be a distraction. Um, I know for me that I do like, I like categories of cameras and I have, you know, I have a tool for different things. Obviously, I just told you earlier that the 300V is like, that's the one. It's honestly the camera I've been using the absolute least recently. And that's because, you know, when when I'm doing different kinds of projects, I'll go to different kinds of cameras. Like I have my rangefinder camera for the streets when I'm just out there doing running gun street photography, six, seven, and and the Bronica ATRS. Those are my portrait cameras. And it's funny, like between the two, I don't know which one to pick. Like there's no good reason for one versus the other. Like the six, seven will give me these bigger negatives, but six, four, five is also very big. Like, you know, it, it becomes a pissing contest eventually. Um, but then 645, I get more photos. So it's like, well, big negative and more photos or like bigger negative and less photos, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so anyways, different cameras for different categories. But but yeah, it, it, I think I'm tapped out at this point. If I buy more cameras, it's just going to be because I'm doing something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, with me, it was,
0: I used to have like, maybe I used to have the Fuji GW690 and the mm-hmm. Mamiya 645. Mm-hmm. And then I sold both of those to get the Pentax, but yeah. I would always see myself like always like contemplating, oh, I wanna go shoot this. But yeah, then yeah. as I'm out shooting, I'm like, dang, I should have brought this. And then sometimes <laughs> I would go out with two cameras. So I yeah. just, I really put myself in a put- situation to be like, look, you're gonna have one yeah. camera, one camera, and then that's that. That's
1: good, man. I, even today when I went, I brought two cameras. The reason I brought two, this is a bad example, because today I brought two because there was two different things I was doing for two separate potential videos. But last, like two weeks ago, or last week, I went out because I was just like, I need to get out. And I did a walk around sunset. I brought three cameras only because I just didn't know which one I wanted to use. And like, that's cool, but you have to carry three cameras around. And I literally, and one of them was the Bronica medium format. And then I had, I think, two 35s. And it was just like, what's the point? And then I brought two to three lenses for each. And ask me how many of those things that I actually use. No more than half of the combinations, you know. So yeah, it's like why? You don't you don't need all the cameras. There's too many options at a certain point. But if you like to look at them on a mantle, like I'm cool. That's it's art and it doesn't lose value. That's the other thing. Buying cameras is not that dumb uh, from a monetary perspective because with film cameras, none of it depreciates. It might stay the same, but it's not gonna go down. Yeah,
0: I've never lost money on a purchase of a exactly. camera yeah that that's how it is with me like if i'm going out with the four by five i bring the Roly but i won't ever bring yeah. the roly with the pentax because the pentax <laughs> i got like i have that's like one that's like five pounds and then yeah. i have like i have a 75 for it i have the 105 and then i have a 200 lens but i'm not going to bring all three lenses out like if i'm going out to take portraits <laughs> it's obviously
1: going to be the 105 you remember uh, you play video games, you know, yeah. Halo? Yeah. Well, what I loved about Halo was that you only had two slots for weapons. And it was like, what are you going to do with those two slots? You know, you only get two. So, you know, just figure it out. And between those two, you realize you don't need that much. You've got a long gun and a short gun. And that's about it. And you get the job done. But I think it's the same thing with cameras. Like, you have so many cameras. Are you actually going to use all of them? And again, if you want to collect them, fine. But if, if, you, if you're like, oh, I'm going to use these and like try to do all this stuff, it's going to get tough. And you're sometimes you might end up just lugging stuff around like I've done, which is annoying when you're carrying around cameras that you don't use.
0: <laughs> yeah. Your your channel is an amazing tool for people. Um, Thank you. you. You are more than just like the cookie cutter type of YouTuber. You really show the ups and downs of, everything and you showcase different things for people who are on a budget for people who can afford more why did you start the youtube what were you hoping to get out of your channel
1: yeah yeah that's a good question i so i started in february of last year um which i don't know it felt kind of random at the time i think for me it was a it was a good way to just like document what i was learning um I figured, so I knew there was a lot of people beginning film photography around that time. And this was before the pandemic was like a thing. So like, I, I just, you know, I kind of had an itch that it was like a decent time, but um, I don't know. I was, I was always messing around and doing things kind of the non like standard way. Uh, it was again, to kind of the point I made earlier where like on the internet, people say certain things and then like, you know, some, sometimes, sometimes they are supposed to think it's like the truth and like, that's it. And what I realized with film photography was that there aren't a lot of very hard principles that you have to, like, fulfill. Um, I think one of the few principles that there is, is like, don't expose your film to light. Like, accidentally, like, you know, that will definitely mess up your film. Um, And even that, some people do it intentionally because it looks cool. So the point is, I figured, you know, there's all these things that people say you're supposed to do, and I'm kind of messing with them and learning as I go. And I, and I, there were some interesting things that I came across that I was doing that were a little bit against the grain. I thought, you know what? Like, I think this might be interesting for people to check out. Um, and, and Instagram wasn't doing it for me from that perspective. Um, I just, I felt like it, it would be easier to talk to people directly in mass via YouTube as opposed to Instagram. Um, Instagram was doing a lot of DMS and like I was making friends and stuff, but when you put something out, there's limited reach because of, you know, how the algorithm does this thing. And also for film photography, it's very centered on the actual photos, which is cool because, you know, that's what we're doing is we're making photos. But how you got that photo, you know, everything that went into that, the thinking, all this stuff, there's only so much you can put into a caption. Um, I just thought YouTube would be a great way to communicate all of that information and then source reactions and comments and that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, I think, I think that's probably what I have to offer as a YouTuber It's like, just getting my hands dirty. And, you know, living to tell about it you know um like you said there really is no specific mold i'm just always like like i said i'm always jumping around from one thing to the next to the next and that's just how i am like i like messing around whether it's different cameras whether it's a different darkroom process in fact early on i did um during like let's say in april i did a video about cross-processing um i think kodak gold with like e6 chemicals And that's when I realized like the value that I had to bring to the, to the kind of the community, because um, I did that, I documented it, put it out. And like, this isn't a new thing. Cross-processing has existed forever. In fact, people used to do it like a lot on purpose because it was a stylistic choice. I think in the modern film community for people who are new, let's say in the last two to four years, which I'm part of that, um, you know, cross-processing is like this thing that's like all the way niche, it's over there. There no, yeah. no, There's no documentation around it. You don't know like why you would do it, why you wouldn't. Um, you know, there's a lot of old documentation, but there's no new perspectives on it. So when I put that video out, especially on Reddit, like I shared on Reddit and a ton of people were like, holy shit, that's cool. And the more I started to read about it separately, I was like, wait a minute, like this isn't new. I'm obviously not the first person to ever do this. I'm like, this is a thing that existed before, but so many people are interacting with it for the first time because I put it out there. And then I realized, you know what? Like there's tons of people learning. I'm learning too. Like, let's just all learn together.
0: Yeah, that's, I have a weird story about that too. Like at um, my university in San Francisco, you we had a dark room and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, now I'm done so I can say this, but I had to sneak in because I wasn't part of like the arts. I wasn't an arts major. Yeah. So I would have to sneak in and then I snuck in once. <laughs> and what ended up happening is is I was like, all right, I have this, I don't want to pay the $15. Cause one, I'm broke to go to develop the color film. <laughs> so I was like, I wonder what would happen if I developed color film in black and white yeah. chemicals. And I, I'm, as I'm doing this, like the a professor comes up and is like, what did you do? And I'm like, I cross process. And they were like, yeah. what is that? And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> like I was like, okay, I literally just did like a roll of color film in black yeah. and white and it comes out like a tintype look. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's, I was like, "Ah, I want to do this again. And so I did it a couple more times, but yeah, it was, that was that whole situation. Like you mentioned, like a lot of people never experienced it. And I was like, a professor didn't
1: know. And I was like, that's wild. Yeah.
0: You mentioned, Oh, good.
1: No, I was gonna say it's, it's, I think that again, that, that's the fascinating part. Um, I, I learn so much more by trying to like put out what I'm putting out because people then respond. Then I go back and like, look at some things. I go back and do some research and like that, that kind of convoluted process of going back and forth based on people's reactions and feedback. Like that's truly how I'm learning. And not, not only am I not, am I learning like, you know, practical things, like what happens when you do that, but then you start to learn kind of about chemistry and you start to learn about the actual variables and what's happening and like how emotions like react with stuff. You know, that stuff's just interesting. And it's not something that like you're going to just randomly come across broadly in this day and age, because film is like a different, the film community is very different than what I assume it could have been back then. But if I put out a video about something like that, that's kind of a new injection of, you know, this thing that otherwise, there's not too much people talking about it.
0: Yeah, uh, you mentioned you live in London now, and you were born and raised in New York City. Do you feel a city um has influenced your art?
1: Um if so, which one influenced you the most? Uh so no question, New York City, um because because that's what's in my, you know, in my psyche. That that's the stuff that lingers in there that, you know, you, you don't even realize is, is affecting you. Um but interestingly enough, I really like I mentioned earlier, I got really heavy into film photography once I was here. That's when it really kind of multiplied and like became this different thing. So London, no question has like affected me. And I think the community itself um, has put into my mind that film is this, film photography is this like communal thing. You know, it's not really like just be, it's not really just me creating images for the sake of me being like, yeah, I'm a good photographer or something. It's more than that. And um, it really is about like sharing the experiences of film photography with everybody else because we're all kind of subject to the same thing at this point, which is like, how much of this film stuff is gonna survive? How much of it can we hold on to? So uh, London has really impacted me from that perspective. Um, but if you wanna say stylistically and like in the work that I'm creating, I think New York for sure. Um, that's where that's where I really got like created a, like my chops. It's like, like the way I think as a photographer definitely came from New York. And that's where I really got into it Um, especially with you know I I do a lot of portrait stuff now I think that's heavily influenced by like the New York kind of street culture I just I just I love shooting in the streets first of all and there's obviously there's like practical reasons for that you know but there's also just kind of a visual reason for that I feed off of the energy of the streets I like the textures of the streets um, the lighting of the streets you know all of that stuff is stuff that really interests me and then Funny enough, street photography, I haven't done any street photography in New York City whatsoever. And that's because I started doing street photography, uh, let's say six months ago. And that was obviously when I'm here in London. So I'm very excited to go back and see how that um, affects me. But my street photography style was born here in London. And I'm curious if like if that's going to be like a thing that persists or if it's just generic and it doesn't matter where I am because the way you interact with people, like I'm interacting with people in London, you know, Londoners, and they're different from New Yorkers. So the way I approach someone, the way I kind of like sneak a photo, like, I'm curious if that's going to be different when I'm in New York, where like, I know the vibe, like, I know how things move in New York, I got a sixth sense, like, I feel that the energy is like, it's different. Whereas here, I I feel like I have to be a bit more observant to really kind of understand, you know, what's happening. Yeah,
0: it's totally, I, I kind of feel the same way. Like, when I was up in San Francisco, that's like where I started shooting film and Mm -hmm. well, I started out with film actually in photography. Oh, nice. And then, um, but yeah, I moved down to Hollywood now and it's like a completely different world. Even though I'm in the same state, it's just like, I felt like I know like up North, I feel like I can get so much different photos and compared to like down here. So I totally understand where you're coming from with that. Everyone goes through times where they feel either any artistic output, and this could be YouTube, photography, mm-hmm. even a podcast, feels that their work is not good enough. How do you deal with these situations when you have these feelings?
1: Yeah, that I mean, this is like the million-dollar question. Um, honestly, I think I think the one thing everyone needs to like think about is is actively be aware of the fact that like when you look at other people's work that's other people's work and not yours um and you know, that's obvious that's an obvious thing to say but i think when you're actively looking at people's stuff like that it's easier for you to put some distance between like oh appreciate that other person's stuff but then also think about what you're trying to do what your value is um that kind of thing and it's hard nowadays cuz we're constantly interacting with other people's stuff, whether it's Instagram, YouTube, Reddit, you name it, everything we go, like you're going to see other people's photography. So I think one, you have to like, you have to be, be aware of that because if you're not, you can easily like fall into that trap of like, just being addicted to other people's stuff and being like, wow, my stuff doesn't look like that. Um, I think the other thing that people should do to, to help kind of, you know, Keep themselves with a good energy is to actually decide what it is they want to do. Um, I think if you're kind of just dabbling and trying different things, that's good because I think you can learn a lot that way. But at a certain point, you need to decide like something. And that something could be just using a specific camera. That something could be a specific genre of photography. That something could be like, oh, I like shooting in hard sunlight only. You know, pick something that's going to be your guiding light. And it gives you something to focus on, because then when you look at other people's work and you see other people's work, you're like, okay, they did that. That looks dope. That's cool. You're like, but, you know, my mission is X, Y, Z. And when you narrow down your mission like that, then there's a lot less for you to compare yourself to. You know, there's a lot less for you to be like, oh, my God, all these photos are amazing and my stuff is crap. Well, what is your stuff? You know, just like, do you know what it is that you're trying to do? Um, not everybody needs to have a project. Not everybody has to have a book. Like, you know, we're not all trying to be professional, the best photographer on earth. Um, but even if you're not doing that, you can still focus and decide that, like, there's a specific thing that you want to invest your time into. So, so yeah, if you think about photography as an investment, I think that's a good way to, to like, focus on something and not let all of the noise either distract you or even like bring you down. Cause it's hard. It's, it's something you have to do constantly. You know, you can't just do it once and be like, I'm good now. Um, next week you see some more photos. you will be like, damn, my photos suck. So, so yeah, I think the last thing, this is the, the simple one is you gotta like, just keep shooting. Um, if you, if you do not go out and, and do photography, I find that it's going to be very easy to get sucked into an Instagram hole and just like not produce anything. Um, because, I think at least with film photography, I think one advantage it has is that the process itself is a gratifying part of it, um, as opposed to just the end result. Whereas with digital photography, oftentimes, like, the process is almost irrelevant. Like, the end result is the only thing that everybody focuses on. So, um, so yeah, if you go out and shoot, the process itself might help you feel good, um, even if for just a little bit, you know. If you go for a hike, bring a camera, like, that, that, that goes a long way yeah
0: um you mentioned instagram uh social media has grown to be intertwined in this whole analog process of film yeah. photography what are your thoughts on this whole intertwined universe of social media and the analog process
1: yeah yeah i uh, i've been thinking about this a lot recently because i was on clubhouse i don't know, like a month ago or something and some other YouTubers um, were on, We're hosting a session. And one of them said, um, he was like, man, he's like, somebody was like, somebody said to me, Oh, you're that YouTube photographer. And he kind of got offended by that. And he was like, man, do I, do I want to be known as, am I becoming a YouTube photographer? Like, I don't want to be known because of my social media presence. I want to be known for my work, my photography. And, you know, I, I, I thought about that and I was like, that resonates. But then part of me, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I was thinking to myself, well, that's good. You know, if, if, if that's your aim is your aim is to be a photographer and produce work and like that's what you want to stand out. That's 100 percent legitimate. But that doesn't mean that the opposite or, you know, the other version of that is is not worthwhile. So I think you have to decide for yourself what it is that you care about more. Um, some people care more about actually producing and like, you know, building bodies of work. Other people care more about interacting and like, you know, being a person in the community that has whatever amount of reach or audience. And then you can be somewhere in the middle as well. I just think you need to be aware of what it is that you want. And I think in my case, I I'm having a lot of fun being a voice in the community. Um, So for me, like as much as I want to produce work, because, cause that is something I'm trying to focus on more is like, Actually, producing work that resonates with a specific style or theme or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, As much as I value that, I also think there's a lot of value in being a voice and like communicating with people, whether it's teaching, obviously, teaching is an easy thing. Like, that's an easy thing to think about. Like, teaching, there's a lot of value in that. But then I just think like people constantly are like, hey, man, like you inspired me to go get out and do X, Y, and Z. And that's massive right there because, A, like selfishly, the more people that shoot film, like, Hopefully that means the more likely it's here to stay and potentially grow. Um, But then also just on a human level, like it sounds it's weird to talk about because to me, it sounds kind of corny. It's like, oh, like you're inspiring people because I'm not inspiring anybody to do anything amazing. You know, I'm not out here trying to like change the world per se. But if someone is like enjoying themselves in their life and like is doing something positive that makes them feel good because I promote that like behavior then that's cool. And I think that makes me feel kind of good. So ultimately, for me, like doing both matters to me more than either one or the other, I think being somewhere in the middle um, is is value. But social media, what you contribute to social media as a photographer, I think is a new thing. You know, I described it on that clubhouse chat, I, I gave my feedback It's kind of what I just said here. But the analogy I used was, if you think about video games, we're going back to video games now. I, I'm not even a gamer. I don't know why I keep talking about video games, but I used to ball hard back in the day, like Madden. Um, but anyways, so, so if you think about sports video games, there's all these ratings, you know, speed, agility, like, you know, awareness, whatever. All those classical things, I think you can associate with like the classical things that people value in photography, you know. But now there's this new rating that's been thrown into the game. This like kind of wild card rating, let's say um that maybe oh so le- maybe it's like clutch let's say clutch in sports this is a rating that didn't exist in madden for 20 years and now they have it and this is a, i don't know if this is true but i'm I'm just kind of making it up but this clutch rating you know, this is this new thing that has value in it well someone who only is clutch but then doesn't do anything else good are they going to be legit probably not unless you're robert Horry, because you know he makes the only shot that matters like every year um in photography i think that's kind of the new thing now you know are you the best photographer on earth? Are you doing all these amazing bodies of work? Are you getting all these awards accolades? Probably not. But if you're good at this social media category now, like there's value in that. And I think you can affect a lot of positive things with that new kind of attribute. With so many
0: different outlets for inspiration, uh, where do you draw most of your inspiration from?
1: Yeah. um, Recently, my inspiration has been coming from hip hop culture. Um, But the old school hip hop culture, let's say like 90s into like the early 2000s. um, I bought a book recently, Contact High. That one kind of summarizes that whole culture into one volume, which is great. But I've been watching a lot of documentaries, a lot of um, just things about hip hop, whether it's specific people in hip hop or like the history, you name it. Just like anything I can find, I'm like diving into it. And the photography of that time and also just kind of the elements like like the vibes the textures the the energies all of that stuff just I love it personally I love it whether photography or not but then as a photographer like I really appreciate how that factors into the photography so so yeah culturally like that is a huge influence on me um and then I don't know I think generally for me the other piece is just kind of social media which is what we were just talking about but um, what other people do is definitely inspiring to me especially when it comes to the process of photography, Let, not, not really like what they're creating, but like how they created it and like kind of the thinking into the creation of it. That's the, that's stuff that I really appreciate because, um, people, th- people leave behind a couple of breadcrumbs on this random thing. That sounds really cool. And I'm like, wait a minute, I need to know more about that thing. And then I'll take that and run with it and research, talk to people about it, all of the above. And then maybe I actually do it myself
0: yeah that's how i am especially like with four by five i yeah. everyone's like just shoot negatives or shoot just shoot the films right yeah. and you start thinking and it ends up being like you're paying five dollars a sheet Why right? there has to be other ways to shoot it like direct positive paper you yeah. could you can get like the lomo graph back there's like mm-hmm. it's just experimenting with stuff that's i totally understand like that yeah. whole idea of everything you make. We talked about the dark, the dark room. You make some amazing prints.
1: Thanks. Um,
0: and you take it takes a lot of time to go through that whole process. Uh, where can people actually purchase prints if they would like to? Um, and then where can people also see your artwork?
1: Yeah. So I I'm not selling any prints currently. I did one print sale. Um, just because I was like, hey, it's time to do something fun. But dark room prints is a lot of time, a lot of work, and it's just tough to do on like a, on an order basis, let's say um, I have a ton of prints. I've got a nice archive, but what I love about this the most is that it's truly just for my own satisfaction. Um, if I sell some prints here and there, you know, that's cool, but it's definitely not my aim here. And I'm, I'm totally fine with if that's what people want to do. Cause you know, I think sharing your work in a physical form is great, but yeah, for me, printing right now is purely like for myself, but if you want to see more of my stuff, I actually I do have a, a Tumblr page where I have been kind of updating here and there and adding a stuff, adding a bunch of my, my images on there. And I think people should make an effort to go on websites to look at photography, not even just for me, but like everybody, because I think you can see uh, photography so much better that way, bigger, you know, usually maybe better screens. The phone is is good for certain things, but not really for that. Um, so, so yeah, I have a Tumblr link. I don't really talk about it that often, but I guess I can, I can give you the link and you can include it. In, yeah, uh, I'll put there. it
0: in the description for sure.
1: Yeah. And then, um, and then, yeah, I think YouTube is, is where I'm living that. Well, it, honestly, there's a lot of stuff on Instagram, but, um, but yeah, between YouTube and Instagram, there, there's a whole lot. I wouldn't say my work is best featured there, but nowadays my work is not just the photography, you know, now it's, it's, you know, the, the content and the, the, the learnings and the the stories and all that. So, so yeah, find, find me on YouTube, holler at me there. And then obviously on Instagram, hit me up. Cause I, I respond to a lot of DMS. I'm, I have a lot of followers compared to what I had before. So it's still, but it's still manageable. You know, I'm, I'm not killing it with like a hundred K or something, but uh, if you hit me up, I'll definitely respond to you.
0: Yeah. Oh, I want to thank you for taking the time. I know it's late where you're at and really appreciate you taking the time and coming All on good. to the
1: episode. Yeah, man. Of course, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Thank you if you would like to see some of the amazing work of ribs you can see him on youtube instagram as well as check out his tumblr page which will all be linked in the description if there is an artist you would like to see on the show head over to instagram follow me at joey underscore Bali, that is joey underscore b-a-l-l-i and shoot me a dm thank you for listening and stay safe out there guys